0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Restoration Church. My name is Pastor Kevin. I am so excited that you've chosen to tune in with us this morning. In fact, I think about this. I think about in this season when we can't gather physically and do church like we normally have done. I just want to say thank you, Restoration Church, for being the essential church. Thank you for coming back every week where we can still study the scriptures together. We can still pray together, worship together, and be the people of God together. So thank you so much, Restoration Church. You guys are awesome. As I start out this morning, I wanted to start with a little bit of a confession. My confession is this, I can get distracted really easy. What's that? Oh, sorry, I can get distracted really easy. I have given myself this self-diagnosed ADD, maybe you can call it mission drift, whatever it happens to be. For example, my wife will say, hey Kevin, can you go out and, and water the garden? And I'm like, sure, I can do that. And I'll go into the garage, and as I walk into the garage, I notice I've got some tools out. And an hour and a half later, I'll come in and the garage will be straightened up, stuff will be put away, and my wife will say, how come the garden never got watered? And I'm like, oh dang it, I forgot. Please tell me I'm not the only one. I mean, how many of you how many of you have walked into a room to do something and you got distracted and you totally forgot why you walked into the room? I'm not the only one here. And while this is fun and we can make a joke about having ADD and, and, and mission drift, it can also be a pretty serious thing. In fact, I, I think about this, Leonardo da Vinci, the guy who painted the Last Supper painting, When he was painting that painting, he brought models in. He found models in the community that would be the models for the faces of the disciples that he was painting. And so the first face he painted was the face of Jesus. So what Leonardo does is he goes into a church in Italy, and he sees this man in a choir who's got this handsome, innocent-looking face, and he says, hey, would you be my model? He comes, he paints them, and that becomes the model for the face of Jesus. And he gets done and says, hey, remind me, what's your name? The guy says, My name is Pietro Bandinelli. Well, Leonardo continues working on this painting for several years. And he saved Judas Iscariot for last. And so finally, he's ready to finish the painting. He's ready to paint Judas Iscariot's face. And so he decides, I'm going to go to the roughest roads in all of Rome looking for the most miserable guy. And he finds the guy, he brings him in, he hires him. This guy becomes the model for the face of Judas Iscariot. And he gets done, he says, oh, I almost forgot. He says, what's your name? The guy says, well, don't you remember me? My name is Pietro Bandinelli. I was also your model for the face of Jesus. See, this man, his life had drifted so far that his face had gone from reflecting the face of Jesus to a face befitting the scandalous Judas Iscariot. And I think this story is, is is fitting. It's a reminder or maybe a warning to us of how easy and maybe even how dangerous it is for us to drift away from what's most important. This morning, if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to the book of Acts chapter two. We're gonna look at the books, uh, book of Acts chapter two, also uh, chapter one. We're in the last series of, last of a series that we're calling essential as we look at the patterns of the early church to how they inform us as to what church can and should look like in our day and age our key verse for this series has been Acts chapter 2 verse 42 and it says they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching to the fellowship to the breaking of bread to the prayers and all came upon every soul you see the early church they were devoted to things. They, they, they These things were so important to them that they said, this is what is essential. We're going to allow these things to shape how we live our life, to shape how we do church. This is what we fight for. And the things they devoted themselves to were the study of the scriptures, were prayer, were, were worship, and creating a sense of family amongst the people of God. And what we said is a pattern of the early church informs what the church can and should look like in our day and age. In fact, here we are in the middle of quarantine and we still have these restrictions preventing us from doing church as we've become accustomed to. And the challenge that I've asked you over the past month is that when we look at this pattern of the early church, when we look at what is essential in church and allow that to inform us as to what church can and should look like, today, and our day and age. The challenge has been, can we prioritize the things that God has prioritized? Can we love the church as God established it? But here's the problem, is the church is like people, where we get distracted easy. It's easy for us to drift away from our mission and purpose. In fact, what happens is we can be so focused on what we've studied the last couple of weeks, on Acts chapter two, verse 42. That we as a church can become inward focused. That we can become a a closed group and fail to remember the mission and the purpose that God has given us. The reason the church exists. In fact, before we ever read in Acts chapter two, verse 42, what the church looked like, before we ever get there, Acts chapter one, verse eight comes first. And that's where God gives the church the mission. The purpose. And it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Hudson read for us this morning, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, ultimately what we've read in Acts chapter 2 is necessary. It is necessary that we devote ourselves to God, that we devote ourselves to the study of his word. That we devote ourselves to prayer and worship. That we devote ourselves to creating a family amongst the people of God. But we cannot allow that to, to help us be distracted from our mission and our purpose. That we devote ourselves to these things while continually fulfilling the mission of God. I want to be clear this morning. Today we are talking about the mission of God. And there's lots of terms for how we describe the mission of God. Sometimes we call it evangelism. And that is simply preaching or sharing good news with somebody else. Sometimes we call it witnessing, which is where we tell other people what we've seen God do and what God has done in our life. Sometimes we call it sharing our faith or sharing the gospel, but it's ultimately the mission of God. Simply put, the mission of God is making Christ known. The mission of God is us telling other people how God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the picture of the early church is as they devoted themselves to these things, they devoted themselves to the people, to the word of God, to the prayer and the worship. They did not neglect. They did so while continually fulfilling the mission of God. What is the evidence that they continued that they didn't allow the community to distract them from the mission? Well, let's just do a quick survey in the book of Acts, and you're going to see how they continued to focus and devote themselves on these things while never negating the mission of God. In fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 15, it says that there was 120 people gathered together in a room in prayer. And just a couple days later, as a direct result of Peter Preaching a message about Jesus on the cross. Acts chapter 2 says 3,000 people were added to the kingdom of God that day. That is a 2,500% growth rate. That is incredible. And you turn a couple more pages to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, they've been arrested. They're put in jail. But as a direct result of them evangelizing, of them sharing their faith, Acts chapter 4 verse 4 says 2,000 more people were added to the kingdom of God. Now the church is over 5,000 people. By the time you get to chapter 5, the numbers are so large, they can't keep track of the numbers. And so in Acts chapter 5 verse 14, it says more and more men and women and children were being added to their number. In Acts chapter 6 verse 1, it says the disciples were increasing in number. They're continuing to focus on mission. They're, they're devoting themselves to these things, but they are continually fulfilling the mission of God. Acts chapter 16, verse 5, it says, As churches were growing in their faith, as they're planting more churches, it says it increased the number daily. And Acts chapter 17, as a result of the gospel being preached in the city of Thessalonica, Acts 17, verse 4 says, A great multitude believed. You see, the early church, they were devoted to these things. They were devoted to the church. They were devoted to the people, devoted to the word of God and prayer and worship while continually feeling, fulfilling the mission of God. I'll be honest, as I hear this survey of the book of Acts of all of these people being added to the kingdom of God, being added to the church, my question is, how do we do that? Like, that's awesome. Like, how can we add people to the kingdom of God? How do we add people to the church like they did in the early church? Now, the answer to that. Is found in Acts chapter 2 verse 47. So we're gonna look at Acts chapter 2 verse 47 and understand how people are added to the kingdom of God by asking ourselves three questions out of that verse. The first question I want to ask is, is who did the adding? When you look at all this expansive growth in the book of Acts, who did the adding? Well the answer, Acts chapter 2 verse 47 says, the Lord added to their number. God's the one who did the adding. The Lord did the adding. Christ, he's the head of the church, and he's the one who adds people to the church and to the kingdom of God. Now, absolutely, God does that through the means. God does that through means, the means of of people preaching the word of God, of people sharing their faith, but it's so important for us to recognize it is the Lord who does the adding. God adds people to the kingdom of God, because too often what happens is we think we're pretty smart. And we start relying on our own wisdom. And so in our own wisdom, we create a program. We say, if we're gonna add people, people to the kingdom of God, here's what we need to do. Here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. And we create these programs, we create these tracks, we have these ideas and we say, if we just follow these steps, then you can add people to the church, you can add people to the kingdom of God. In fact, a couple of years ago, I remember getting an invite to attend a conference that was called the Double Conference. The conference said, if you follow our principles, we can guarantee that you will double the size of your church. See, what happens is when we think that we are the ones that add to the kingdom of God, when when we rely on our own wisdom and we decide, I'm going to follow a method, no longer do we rely on God. No longer do we depend on the Holy Spirit to do a work in people's hearts. And so it's so important for us to recognize it is the Lord who added to the number. It is what God was doing amongst them. Second question we ask is, is, well, if the Lord was adding, who was the Lord adding? He was adding people who believed the gospel. Look what it says in verse 47. It says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. see, the goal for us it's not just to get people to say, Well, I like God. Sure, I like God. I'm sure I, I believe in God. The goal for us is not just to get people to, to come to church. The goal is not just to get people to have a become a religious person. The goal is that the people would have a would have a, a conversion experience with Jesus. The goal is that people would believe in the gospel. The gospel is simply this. The gospel says that that God created us to be in relationship with him, to have this intimate relationship with him. But when sin entered the world, sin separates us from God. It destroyed that intimate relationship. And that's the case for all of us. We have all sinned and we have this this distorted relationship with God. But because God loved us so much, he sent his son to the earth to live a perfect life, to pay the penalty for our sin so that so that we can be made right with God, so that we can have a restored relationship with God. That's what the gospel is. And how do we experience that? Romans 10 says, here's how you experience the gospel, that you confess with your mouth that that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and that is how we are saved. That is the gospel message. But here's the thing, the gospel is just that, the gospel is mes- is a message. The gospel is good news. And so Romans 10 says, how can people uh, call on him if they haven't believed in him? And how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him if no one tells? Scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You see, when we look in the book of Acts, uh, the lord adds to their church adds to the number all those who were being saved and those being were being received as a response to the church as a response to the disciples talking about jesus and what he accomplished on the cross talking about the gospel the expansion of the church in the book of acts is a direct result of the church sharing the message of the gospel sharing about the love of jesus sharing about the hope found in him And it came because they shared their faith vocally. They told a story of what Jesus has done for people and God used that to to save them, to, to bring them into the church. So number one, who did the adding? God did the adding to the church. Number two, who was being added? It was those who believed the gospel, those who were being saved. And third question was, when were they getting added? The answer is, all the time. That verse, Acts chapter two, verse 47, it says, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That idea of day by day, it is written in an imperfect tense, which means it was continually happening. It was constantly happening. Means that evangelism or or, or sharing their faith, the, the mission, the sharing the gospel, it wasn't something that was scheduled for once a week. It wasn't something that they did occasionally or sporadically. It's not something that they looked at the schedule and said, well, we're gonna have an hour of evangelism on Thursday at seven o'clock. I mean, honestly, for us, how much time do we spend in evangelism? Maybe an hour a week, more likely an hour a month, or maybe even an hour a year, if we even do that at all. The early church, as they were devoted to one another, as they were devoted to the word of God and prayer and worship, they went about their lives consistently and constantly talking about the grace of God, about the love of God, about the forgiveness that is found through Jesus. That this was just a part of their normal life. That I think the early church, they became the embodiment of what Deuteronomy 6 is all about. That they talked about the grace of God as they're sitting in their homes. As they're driving down the road, they're, they're talking about Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness when they stop at the coffee shop to get their coffee in the morning they're going to talk about the gospel and about what God has done in their life and as they're sitting in their as they're sitting in their cubicle amongst the city gates doing business that they had these conversations that the gospel was a regular natural consistent part of their conversation and of how they lived their lives see i love this whole section of scripture And I love Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that it is a a reminder to us. It is a reminder that even though we're commanded to be devoted to the people of God, we're devoted to the church, that we cannot allow these things to drift us away where we become a a, a self-focused group, a self-contained church, a self-absorbed church, where all we do is we focus inward. I mean, I, I would just say this honestly. Like, honestly, if we are truly devoted to the Word of God, if we're truly devoted to the people of God and having a life of worship and a life devoted to prayer, mission is the natural result of that. Evangelism and sharing the good news about God is the natural result of us being truly devoted to these things. Scripture is clear. Scripture is clear. When we're devoted to to the things of God, mission happens naturally, we'll continue to talk about the grace of God in, in our lives. Thinking about this, as followers of Jesus, if we truly understand the power of the gospel, if we are a people who have been redeemed by God, who've been made new, if we're a people who have been forgiven, not because of what we've done, but because of what God has done for us, how can we not become the greatest evangelists? of the gospel, of the incredible grace that we have experienced. How can we not tell everybody about the love of God that we have experienced ourselves? You see this evangel- this idea of an evangelist, I know that's a weird word. For some of you, you hear evangelist and you immediately think about that guy on the TV that's got the weird hair, who's constantly yelling, who says the name of Jesus in like three or four sybil- syllables. Jesus! Listen, evangelism is not a weird word. Evangelist is someone who simply tells someone else good news. And honestly, every one of us, we've probably been an evangelist about something this past week. Maybe you've been an evangelist about your favorite TV show that's trending on, on Netflix. You've been an evangelist about a new app you have on your phone. You've told other people about it. You've you, you found a deal on, on some Uh, beef at Safeway. You became an evangelist. Hey, you need to know about this this sale at the store. You become an evangelist about your favorite sports team. Here's what's happening with the Seahawks. You become an evangelist about whatever it happens to be. You become an evangelist about your political convictions and what our world needs to do in this day and age. If you delight in it, you evangelize around it. If you delight in it, you want others to enjoy it. You want others to experience what you've experienced. Listen, as much as I love my favorite TV show, Deadliest Catch, as a man that has been redeemed by God, how much greater should my passion be to tell others about the redemption offered through Jesus? More so than my favorite restaurant, more so than my political conviction. As, as, as people that have been redeemed by the grace of God, how much more passionate should we be about telling others about that redemption and that grace and that forgiveness? I know some of us listening were saying, some of you listening are saying, well, I haven't been trained in how to evangelize. I haven't been trained in how to share my faith. Let me tell you what, it's not training that stops you. It is not training that slows you down. Some of them almost some of the most passionate and effective evangelists, some of the people that are most effective at sharing their faith are brand new Christians who know nothing other than the fact that Jesus loves them and has forgiven them of their sin. Their message is simple. They're saying, my life has been changed by Jesus and I want you to know about it. I want you to experience what I have experienced. I love that. Where does that? Where does our motivation come from? Sharing our faith. Where does that motivation come from? Telling others about Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five says that it is uh, the love of Christ that compels us to share our faith. That when we have this genuine love for God, that is what compels us to tell other people. In fact, Second Corinthians chapter five continues and says that the message of reconciliation, the message that as, as humans that we can be reconciled to God and have a relationship restored with him. It says in verse 19, 2 Corinthians 5, 19, the message of reconciliation has been given to us, you and I. And verse 20 says that we are his ambassadors, that God is making his appeal to the world through us, that God is making known that you can have a relationship with him through you and I. That is how that message gets spread. So let's just get real here. When is the last time you actually shared your faith? When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone else? Listen, if it's been a while for you, why is that? Why has it been a while since you shared your faith? In fact, I want to close with a little bit of a challenge. Earlier this year, as I was going through my Bible reading plan, I saw something new in the book of Genesis that just popped out to me. That's often what happens when you read scripture. You see something you hadn't seen before. Book of Genesis, I was reading about uh, Joseph, the guy, you know, the coat with many colors, that guy, and how his brothers had been so wrong to him, and he had been suffering because of that. And in Genesis, getting close to chapter 40, man, it was almost like Joseph's life was taking a turn for the positive. He had a good job and a good location. Things were going good until... His, boss, his boss's name is Potiphar until Potiphar's wife uh, has a sexual advance towards him and Joseph turns that down. And because of that, because of that, he was unjustly accused of a sexual assault and sent to prison. Listen, as Joseph's in prison, he had every reason to feel sorry for himself, every reason to have a pity party. But in Genesis chapter 40, verse 6, it says that Joseph woke up the morning, and he came to the other prisoners, the other prisoners being the Pharaoh's cupbearer and the baker. He came to the other prisoners, and verse six says he saw that they were dejected. How did he see that? Pretty simply because he was looking. He was looking, he noticed these other prisoners were dejected. See, Joseph was looking, he wasn't consumed with himself. He wasn't consumed with the fact that, man, this stinks, I'm stuck in jail, poor me. He wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He wasn't saying this is unfair. How can you do this to me? Joseph could look beyond himself. He saw that these other prisoners were dejected and he said, why are your faces so sad? Here's my challenge to you. Over this next week, the next seven days, would you ask God to open your eyes to the people that are dejected, to the people that are core and tired to the people that are struggling and suffering? Would you ask God and say, God, would you help me to open my eyes to see these people? And God, would you make me bold enough to ask that question? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Why are you struggling right now? Why are you feeling the way that you do? And as we ask God to open our eyes to see these people, and as we ask God to make us bold enough to ask this question, How about instead of evangelizing our conviction of how we can solve the COVID crisis, how about instead of offering a Christian cliche, how about we pray and say, God, would you help me point these people to the good news of the gospel? May not be in every case, but I would say in a staggering number of cases, when we notice people that are struggling, we ask what's going on, it becomes an opportunity for us to tell the amazing news about Jesus, the hope that is found in him. And if we would take this challenge, we might see God save our friends. We might see God save our family members. We might see God add to the kingdom of God, add to the church day by day, those who are being saved. Now this is what I'm praying for. I'm praying that as a church, as we devote ourselves to the word of God, as we, Our people who are devoting ourselves to the study of Scripture, to prayer, to worship, to to creating a family amongst the people of God. I'm praying that we would do that while continually fulfilling the mission of God. That we would see God adding to our number day by day those being saved. I'm praying that God would do that. That we would be a church who are prioritizing what is essential while continually fulfilling the mission of God. That we'd make the good news of Jesus a regular part of our conversation. That we would become evangelists of the greatest news ever told. That God loves you and sent his son Jesus to the cross in your place so you could have a relationship with him. Restoration Church, I love you guys. And I'm excited to see what God does through us in this season, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this essential series. Thank you so much for just this reminder of what is essential in the church, the scriptures, prayer, worship, the people of God. God, I pray that we would continue to devote ourselves to these things, devote ourselves to what is essential, that we would prioritize and allow it to define what is so important to us. But God, most importantly, I pray that we would not allow these things to cause us to drift away from our mission, that we would be reminded as to why we exist, that is to know Christ and to make Christ known, that we would be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Yakima and in East Valley and West Valley and the Lower Valley and throughout the state of Washington and to the ends of the earth. So God, I pray that we would understand what it means for us to be an evangelist. I pray that we would realize that we are a people that have been redeemed and we have this amazing experience of grace. And God, I pray that we would Be bold in sharing that. I pray, God, that the conversation of the gospel about your love and grace would be a a normal part of our rhythm, that it would naturally happen in every setting, that we would tell others about you. And that God, we would see you add to the kingdom of God, those who are being saved day by day. God, I pray that you would do something beautiful in our midst. I pray even in the season of quarantine, that God, you would help us to see those that are struggling and that God, we would be bold enough to say, "Hey, what's up? What's going on?" And that we would be bold enough to say, "Listen, let me tell you about my Jesus, about His love, His grace, His forgiveness." God, I love you. That you, I love you. That you have sent your Son Jesus to to forgive us, that we can have a relationship restored with you. God, I pray that you do something powerful in our midst. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.